Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Royal France podcast. This is Walter Emerson. I'd like to encourage you to look at my previous uh, episodes where I discuss the model that I have built regarding my moment of intuition with St. Joan of Arc, where I felt this compelling moment, uh, what I call a divine glance using St. Therese's terms or an unreflective certainty using Edith Stein's terms of this, this importance of St. Joan of Arc in my life. And so in season one, I kind of take us through that, what that really was. And in season two, I've kind of dedicated to talking a little bit about how this came about. And so in episode one, last time, I talked about Edith Stein because there was this moment when I took my purely devotional descriptive writing and I began bringing uh, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, Edith Stein, into it because she wrote a book uh, after her conversion and she became a Carmelite. She wrote a book on St. John of the Cross called The Science of the Cross. And I mentioned in the last episode that there was something about the way she wrote which was very different. And I didn't really, I wanted to pursue that. I wanted to know, she had. She was saying the same things I'd heard many other spiritual writers uh, talk, write about, but she was saying them in different ways and using different phrases, and I wanted to kind of study that. And so what I learned, of course, was that she had a background in phenomenology. And then I learned that she did not give up her phenomenology when she came into the church, that she actually did this incredible job of reconciling uh, uh, medieval scholasticism, Thomism, with phenomenology, which was a, a huge help for me because my moment with Joan of Arc, that, that great moment of intuition, that divine glance, that unreflective certainty, was in fact a phenomenological moment. And I had no idea how to you know, make that blossom, to do anything with that. And so through the guidance of Edith Stein, I was able to take my uh, scholasticism, my knowledge of the church's uh, philosophy and, and, and of uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, not, not that I'm an expert, but reasonably well-read uh, uh, for, for a Catholic and had that knowledge, but I was able to expand it. And I mentioned that, you know, I, I had always shied away from anything that resembled modern philosophy because I could just considered it to be, you know, just modernism and there's no use reading it and all that kind of thing. And so with St. Edith Stein, uh, St. Edith Stein, I was able to open up an avenue and by holding her hand and staying within her domain, uh, I could go and study uh, the phenomenologist and found that they in, indeed do have a significant amount to add uh, to our, our journey so long as we frame everything within the context of our faith, which is what I've always striven to do. And so uh, a quote she has, the, the book where, that really brought that to fruition for me was Knowledge and Faith by Edith Stein, The Collected Works of Edith Stein, Volume 8, Knowledge and Faith. And there's a quote uh, in the front piece. So she does a comparison between uh, her mentor, the father of modern-day phenomenology, Edmund Husserl, and Thomas Aquinas, so she makes this, this comparison. And in that she says, but philosophia perennis, 
also means something else, the spirit of genuine philosophy alive in every true philosopher. And anyone who cannot resist an inner need to search out the logos, the reason of this world, its ratio, as Thomas translated the word, the born philosopher brings the spirit with him into the world as potency in Thomistic terminology. The potency becomes actualized when he meets a mature philosopher, a teacher. This is the way true philosophers reach out to one another over the bounds of space and time. That's, I, th I just thought that was so appropriate because I thought, well, I would like to reach out to Edith Stein over the bounds of space and time and use her as my mentor. So I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know what my grade is. <laughs> don't uh, don't uh, judge her if I'm uh, if I if I have faulty grades. But I decided to use her as my as my mentor. Okay, so what that did then was it led me on this uh, led me on this search. Uh, using uh, her, her uh, guidance through phenomenology. And so one of the, the thing I want to introduce uh, in, this, in this session right now is how is it that I felt I was following St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese? So I, I talk a lot, and my devotional writing was really geared toward walking the trail of the dogmatic creed with St. Joan and St. Therese. Right, so the, the trail of the dogmatic creed is just a, a metaphor for uh, saying that, you know, I want to stay within the bounds of the traditional teachings of the church, the magisterium. I want to stay within the bounds of medieval scholasticism. Those are kind of the guardrails of the trail. So you walk along trails, beautiful trails over the hills and mountains and, and rivers. And if you get off the trail, you can get in trouble. And you can fall into a ravine or drown in a river or something like that. So I, I, th those were like the guardrails. But within that, using Edith Stein's guidance there, and, and as she herself admits, you know, there's, there's a lot of room for us to subjectively kind of construct the meaning of our world. And I talked a lot about the, the meaning, the horizon of meaning in the first season. And so th this was, so I, I like to use the, uh, the analogy that if if we both walk the same path and we journey along the same trail, hiking trail, we're walking the same trail. This is the trail of the dogmatic creed. But we'll, we will look at different things. We'll recount different things. When we come back to home base, we will, uh, we will uh, convey our story differently to people. There'll be a lot of similarities because we walk the same path but there will be subjective differences in how we experience that path. And that's the way I describe this, is trying to interpret my subjective experience while staying on the objective trail of the dogmatic creed. And so, um, as, as, you know, as I followed the, the guidance uh, and of Edith Stein and looking at the phenomenologist, I, I kind of came up with this, this, I guess, three points that I found, not that I really created, I just sort of discovered in a phenomenological way, they just appeared to me as the method that seemed to be working for me as I journeyed the trail of the dogmatic creed. And there were really 
three points, and that was uh, clarity of mind, agility of thought, and pureness of heart. Now, let's look at the last one, pureness of heart. That's actually where it really begins. I list it as number three, but it's really where it begins. Now, I know I struck. I don't can't claim to have a pure a heart, but what uh, but what the pureness of heart means really is living a life of sanctifying grace as, as best as we can believe that we are through the sacraments. So it really means a sacramental life, a life of you know going to confession, going to mass, uh, Eucharistic adoration, living a, a sacramental life. Because we know that's where our, our life comes from. That's where our grace comes from. And so that's what I mean by pureness of heart, is we can't have pureness of heart if we're living outside the sacraments of the church. Now, it doesn't mean that I have, I have this overwhelming pureness of heart just because I do. We're all struggling. We're all walking the trail. Uh, so it doesn't mean we have some sort of perfection or anything. But it really means that we have to clear out the the darkness that's in our heart by uh, going and, and being committed to the sacraments and and also particularly to uh, true devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'm you know I'm very insistent on that. Uh, I'm consecrated to the Blessed Virgin, as I know many uh, listeners probably are, and so that's that's really important. Clarity of mind is just that clearness of intellectual intuition that's, um, you know, really comes from the sacramental life and obtaining that what I call purity of heart as best we can through, sacra- uh, through the sacraments. And so clarity of mind is really this clearness of intuition, of being able to actually receive the illumination, receive the light that the Lord is presenting to us. And then importantly, agility of thought is that uh, ability to contemplate and construct what the map of meaning looks like. And I mentioned in season one that I was talking about this horizon of meaning that we, we all of us in our lives look out, there are things that are meaningful for us and things that aren't. So we have these, these meaningful points out on our map that are surrounded by a sea of irrelevances. And then the question is, what, what does that map look like? And I wanted to, through empathy, using Edith Stein's term, I wanted to try to understand what St. Joan's map might look like. I can't know for sure but I wanted to try to understand what her map might look like. And so uh, clarity of mind is that attempt then to receive that enlightenment about what her map might look like. And that agility of thought is simply the movement of our intellect, the movement of our intellect to put together the relationships between these meanings so that we're actually kind of constructing a model of the of sort of a, a model of what it is that uh, that entire you know map looks like and so it's now these might sound familiar because clarity agility and pureness are reflections 
of the Lord's resurrected body and what we can expect as co-heirs with Christ when we uh, go to heaven, hopefully. And so I, I, I picked those. There was kind of a convergence between what I was reading in phenomenology and the terms the church uses of clarity of intellect, uh, agility, uh, where, where, you know, like the angels have great agility. They just can think and they're, they're, they're where they need to be and, uh, and purity of heart. And what kind of came to my mind was, as I could see, what was happening in my own life was that as I was constructing and putting together, well, here's something meaningful, here's something meaningful that I'm, that I'm able to achieve. Uh, I say achieve, it's through grace, but able to see in clarity I put those together and I see, well, there's a relationship here. And, and it, it kind of looks like there's a bigger model of something bigger, what I call the kingdom. So it's sort of like constructing the kingdom uh, in, in the distance and, and then putting together and saying, I think I'm getting an idea, maybe, of what St. Joan's map might look like. Uh, knowing that there's no way for me to know for sure, but to make uh, some sort of intelligent, uh, intelligent guess. And so that agility is, when you think about heavenly agility, where, say, the angels are able to, you know, instantaneously be where they're supposed to be, I sort of equated that to intellectual agility, slow in our earthly methods, but intellectual uh, agility where gradually you were actually constructing, seeing relationships, and kind of putting the map together, always checking to see, are we inside, are, we're not going off the road, are we? You know, are we, are we inside the boundaries of what we defined through our, you know, uh, Thomas scholasticism? And so this became really the, the, the model. So, uh, this is where I went after I became, um, in, you know, sort of engrossed in Edith Stein's work and kind of established what she did in this, in this reconciliation of Thomism and phenomenology. And I thought, well, w what's happening to me? I mean, I feel like I'm moving along. I, f I feel like something, you know, there's kind of this kingdom in the distance in my contemplative mind. And I feel like there's something that's moving, you know, kind of moving me there. And so I, that's where I started thinking about this, that, well, well what, what are these, these meaningful moments, clarity of mind? And then how do they relate to each other? H how does this meaningful uh, nomadic experience relate to another one? And then all of a sudden you're starting to build the building blocks of, something and you say this this is representing the kingdom of god and 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 thus saint joan and saint therese leading me toward the kingdom of god and that's a beautiful now that's what i'm i'm you know hoping uh i can't say with uh you know i'll never speak presumptuously i don't know um but it certainly seems to be the method and and the manner in which i can say St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese are leading me to the kingdom of God. Well, of course, we know that they will. That's what the saints do. The saints reach out and they help us and lead us to the kingdom of God. 
And so all I'm doing is getting down to, well, how, how does that happen? <laughs> I mean, what goes on in one's phenomenological experience that says that's what's happening? You know, well, I, I prayed and I had this moment and I prayed and I had this moment. And, um, you know, what I did was just start saying, all right, how do I how do I sit back and think about all these moments of meaning and map them together? And so uh, those are the three things I want to leave you with today is uh, coming out of the phenomenology, holding tight to Edith Stein. I realized that I could describe my my movement as being clarity of mind, agility of thought, and pureness of heart that comes through the sacraments. So I'll, I'll cut it off for now because, again, I don't like to keep these too long, but I'll press this a little bit further next time and then talk about further what that might look like. So for now, I'll leave, those, I'll leave you with those, uh, those three concepts. So we're pushing further into how this journey on the trail of the dogmatic creed works. So thank you. Hope you enjoyed it, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.